Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Today, we get to hear the continuation of Pastor CJ's message, God Will Defend You. The secret to winning battles is handing them over to God. But how many times do we hold on to them trying to fight them ourselves? God can only defend, fight, and restore what we choose to give Him. Surrender your battles to Him today. We hope you enjoy this message. God will defend you, uh, part two. We got into it last week, and obviously time got away, and I wasn't able to finish everything that I had for last week. Uh, But I want to talk to you, God will defend you, part two. And we talked about last week that God is a just God. And if you have it on your notes, a just God means this. He's fair, that God is a fair God. He does things right. He does things fair. How many ever had as a parent, you had to do things fair with your kids? Maybe your kids were fighting and arguing over something, and you had to step in as a parent, and you did what you thought is fair. And so that's our God. You're his sons and his daughters, and he's our Abba Father. So what God does, he chooses to do things fair. And not only does he, is he fair, but he judges things correctly and does what is right all the time. God doesn't do things halfway. He does things all the way. And when he does things all the way, he does it right every time. God is never strikes out. God never makes a mistake. He does things right. Even though at times we may not understand it, we may not agree with it, but God does things right. And the only way you're going to get through some of the battles that you have in your life and you're questioning God, you have to just trust God to know that he's right. You have to trust that God is right. I don't understand God. I don't understand why she or he got away with that. But God, I have to trust you to know that you do things right. Amen? And so if you have your notes in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to pick up right there where we left off last week. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it is dealing with the story of Jehoshaphat. And you know many of we talked about, he's being surrounded by three different armies that were coming in and surrounding him and attacking him. And I don't know about you, three against one is not a good number. That's an outrageous number, and you're outnumbered in a fight and on the battle. I always say 10 against one is a, is, is a big battle as you're outnumbered. But even three against one is outnumbered numbered. But Jehoshaphat had to rally the people together. And he was in a situation that, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Have you ever said that to yourself? Like, God, what am I going to do? I don't know how to handle this. This attack is coming against me. Lord, these people are saying things about me. They're doing things to me. All these things are happening. God, what am I going to do? I think we all face those type of things in our lives. That was the same way with Jehoshaphat. He was in that predicament where he he knew that the only source he had was God. God, you have to intervene. You have to defend me because, God, I'm powerless in this situation. I can't take on three armies. I can't take on this attack. But if God, if you and me are, are on the team, you and I, God, make a majority, and God, you say in your word, if God is for me, who can be against me? But God, how are you going to defend me? How are you going to help me? And so here we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2. Here's what he said. Some of the people came and told Jehoshaphat. He told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already a Hazar at Tavar. And what, in other words, what was happening, here was the secondhand news. It was secondhand news that uh, Jehoshaphat didn't see it firsthand. He didn't hear it firsthand. He heard it secondhand. 
And if you have your notes, sometimes, how many of you know that secondhand news can, number one, it can bring fear to you? I don't know about you, but as a pastor, a lot of times I get phone calls in the middle of the night. I'll get some phone calls sometimes 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And my reaction, because I get a phone call that late at night, normally people don't call you that late at night. So your reaction is when you get secondhand news, it's like the first thing you want to say is, what's wrong, Kevin? Right? It's secondhand news that Kevin is calling me and saying that so-and-so maybe is going through the situation. So-and-so is on the way to the hospital. So-and-so is in the emergency room. And so it's secondhand news, and sometimes secondhand news can bring fear to you. And so can you imagine what Jehoshaphat felt like? Here he's having secondhand news that here's this vast army, Jehoshaphat, is coming against you. And the first thing we want to do is rise up in fear. But God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power in love and a sound mind. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power in love and a sound mind. After all, have you ever thought about what is fear? If you take the acclimates of fear, it's fear means false evidence appearing real. That it appears real, but it may not be happening. But because maybe it's secondhand news and how it was project, uh, told to you and how things were said to you, it automatically made you grip you with fear. Another one is this. It can bring false truth. How I many a little bit of yeast can work through a whole batch of dough? And a lot of times, maybe false truth can bring destruction or confusion or bring just unsettlement in your life. And so sometimes when we get secondhand news, we maybe don't get the whole story. Just watch CNN or Fox News or any other things or read the newspaper. Somebody say amen. And sometimes we get false news, but the false news, what it does, it makes us believe maybe things that aren't true. And what happens when we listen to things that aren't true, it ensnares you. It ensnares you, and it's the truth that sets you free. But the enemy loves to use false truth to ensnare you, to paralyze you, to make you panic, to make you walk in fear, to make you walk in discouragement and defeat. So false news. Another one, can, uh, secondhand news, what? It can, it can bring gossip. And I thought about that. What is gossip? Gossip is anything that you talk about somebody that has nothing to do with you. If you're always out talking about somebody and you're sharing somebody's news or talking about somebody's situation or maybe talking about uh, maybe how they look and dress or maybe putting them down, that's gossip. I've always found this to be true. Whenever I tell a story from the pulpit, I'll never tell you a story about a person or an individual unless I ask them if it's okay before I say it. Because if I say it from the pulpit, what I'm actually doing, I'm opening a can of worms of gossip. And I'm sharing information that I maybe is not privy to share. And I didn't get permission to share. And I find that gossip, what happens with gossip, it hurts relationships. It crushes relationships. It divides. It separates. It kills. That's why Proverbs says, without wood, the fire goes out. Without gossip, it will stop. It's the same way. And sometimes what happens, we do gossip. We gossip about our coworkers. We gossip about our friends. We gossip about our brothers or our sisters or whoever else. And what that does, it destroys relationships, secondhand news. Another one, it can bring joy, secondhand news. I, I'll tell you, I got a phone call from Linda and Rudy uh, the, when, when their daughter, Kayla, had a baby. And man, I, when they called me, you could hear the excitement in their voice. I'm a grandma. I'm a grandpa. My first words, about time. Amen. <laughs> but they were so excited that they had this new little girl, this new little baby girl. Then that's what secondhand news can do. It can bring joy to you. Another one is this, it, it can bring comfort to you. 
Secondhand news of, hey, so-and-so was in the ER, but they're doing good now. So-and-so had this happen to them, but they're doing good. So you, when, you, when you're relaying stories to people, I want to remind you, what kind of news are you bringing? What kind of things are you saying? You see, it can bring fear. It can bring gossip. It can bring comfort or it can bring joy. What kind of news are you bringing? In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 6 through 9, I love what Jehoshaphat did. When Jehoshaphat was faced with his opposition, he didn't run to grab his guns. He didn't run to grab reinforcement. He didn't do all kinds of things that we do sometimes when we panic. You know what he did? Before he did anything and before he even responded to the accusations and to the, the, the news that were coming his way, look at what he did. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6, he said, The Lord God of the ancestors, are you not the God who is, is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. And then he goes on to say, and no one can withstand you. So in other words, look at what he said. He went to inquire of the Lord. So look what the next verse says. He says in the next verse, our God, did not you drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of, at Abraham, your friend? Then what he said, what he did, he goes on and says, they have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary in the name of the springs. And then watch what he says. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or a plague or phantom, he goes on to say, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out. Now watch this. We will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear and you will save us. So you see what he did? Notice what he did. He went to his God to let the Lord defend him, to let God defend him. And so many times what happens in our lives, we, we, we wait with God last. God, you're my last resort. I'm going to go and defend myself. After all, I'm a man. Man, hey, if they mess with me, they mess with fire, they mess with fire, they're going to get burnt. And so a lot of times, instead of running to God, when you've got a predicament maybe in your life, maybe it's a situation that's bigger than you, you want to take it into your own hands. But Jehoshaphat, he knew that, God, if I want to do things right and just, I know I have to come to you first. I have to inquire of you first, God. I have to seek you out first. Let me ask you something. How many of you take one-a-day vitamins? And some of you have to take your, maybe your medication. And you're religiously taking your medications or your vitamins every day. You see, that's the same way with God, that every day we religiously have to go to God and get our orders from headquarters. God, how would you want me to handle this day? Lord, how would you want me to deal with this situation? You see, don't wait until you're in the situation. Ask God to help you navigate through the situation before you get there. And so I never go into a meeting, I never go into a meeting, especially if I know it's going to be a stressful meeting, I never go into the meeting without inviting God into it first. I always pray before I go into the meeting, say, God, you got to be before me. God, you said you went before the Israelites by fire by night and cloud by day. Lord, I know that you can go with me. And so, God, I'm asking you to help me. And then not only am I asking you to help me, but, God, I'm asking for wisdom. I'm asking for right words. I'm asking for insight, how to deal with this situation. So God is a gentleman. He will only come in by your invitation. So what did Jehoshaphat do? 
he inquired of the Lord. He inquired of God. And if you have your sermon notes, listen, when, you get, when you're in the battle, when you're in the battle, it's not a time to run from God, but to run to God. To run to God. Hey, it's 11-11 right now. Kiss your wrist. You ever do that before? 11-11, kiss your wrist. Right there. Look, check it out. <laughs> My grandkids do that. Papa, 11-11. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on. There you go. We got a few. Amen. But he, he, what he did, it's not a time to run from God. It's a time to run to God. That God wants you to run. Whenever the battle is bigger than you, you see what the enemy wants to do? He wants to intimidate you. He wants to put fear in you. He wants to make you paralyzed so that you don't run to God because he knows that your strength and comfort is in the Lord. So what he does, he tries to repel you from God. And so it's a time to run to the Lord, not to run from him. I love what, again, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, look what Jehoshaphat does here. He says this, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 12 and 13, he said, Our God, you will not judge them. Will you not judge them? So in other words, what are you saying? That God, you are my defender. And what does God do? He judges right. He judges fairly. He judges correctly. So what will God do? He will judge this situation, and he will make things right. He's the umpire of your life. He calls the balls and the strikes. And you have to let God be the judge. Let him be the umpire to call the balls and strikes in your life. And so he says, will you not? He says, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. In other words, what did he recognize? He recognized, Jehoshaphat recognized his weakness. You see, God doesn't look for full. He doesn't look for full of ourselves, our pride, our own strength, our own ability. God looks for empty so that he can pour himself into you in the midst of your battle. That's why Paul said, in my weakness, God, you're made strong. You see, you have to empty out so he can come in. You see, if you ever go by a hotel and you see on the sign that says on the hotel, no vacancy, what does that tell you? That they're full. And sometimes God comes to your situation, your temple, your room, your house, and he sees a sign that says no vacancy. And so what does God do? He goes on where he wants to involve himself into your situation, but he can't because there's no room there. And the reason why there's no room there is you're not willing to let God say, hey, here I am. We're unwilling to show our weakness or our vulnerability that, God, I am vulnerable, I'm weak, and, Lord, I can't do this on my own. And that's what God wants us to do. He said, listen, you step aside and let me take your battles. But so many times, we want to take the battles ourselves. But God doesn't look for full. He looks for empty. When you're empty and you empty yourself out in my weakness, God, you're made strong. You're going to fill me up. So he goes on to say, he says this. I love this. Do, not, do you not know what to do? But our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and their children and the little ones stood there before the Lord. Notice what he did. He put his eyes on the Lord. Listen, the Bible says he will keep us in perfect peace whose mind, whose thoughts, whose eyes are fixed on him. 
So watch this. God says, I'll take your eyes of binoculars that are out of focus when you're going through the battle, and I'll take your binoculars and I'll put them into focus. And when you, they come into focus, guess what you're going to see? You're going to see how big and awesome and how great your God is. So God says, listen, get your eyes off your problems, get your eyes off yourself, and get your eyes on me because I am the problem solver. And notice what they did? They put their eyes on him. If you have your notes, listen, the secret to winning battles is giving them over to him. That's the secret to winning the battle. How many of you know the scripture says the battle is not ours, it's the Lord's? If the battle is truly God's, then you have to give it to him. Many of you came in here today, and next week, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a fun week next week. We're going to talk about why church, so it's going to be a great time for you to bring friends to our grand opening. But many of you, you're going to have a special seat. And I'm not going to say where, but all throughout this congregation, there's going to be special seats. There's going to be special prizes. Everyone's going to get a gift on Sunday, but there's going to be special gifts next Sunday, and you don't want to miss it. But the thing is, when you came in, you picked that special seat. And when you picked that special seat, you said, I'm going to sit here. And when you sat there, you, what did you do? You trusted that seat to hold you up when you transferred your weight off your feet and your legs and you sat down. You trusted that seat to hold you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have sat in it, right? So I had some kids in my youth group in Oklahoma City. We, it was a graduation man banquet. We're at this graduation banquet. I kid you not, we, we used to have a youth group of over 1,000 kids, no kidding. And we had this graduation banquet for all the seniors, and they set me up. And, you know, they had my wife and I and at the head table, just like you do uh, the, the bridesmaid and the groom and all that kind of stuff. And they had me at the head table because there I was. I was the, the youth pastor. But they set me up. And you know what they did? They took the legs on the chair, and they loosened them. No kidding. Seriously, no kidding. And so they took him out of the, the, the slots there, and they just balanced the chair. Obviously, I didn't know that. And I sat down in that bad boy, and that was the joke for the banquet. They got me good, right? But I thought that I could trust that chair. And you know what happened? I was embarrassed. I kid you not. You had At that time, there was 500 kids out there that were graduating and so on. But I was embarrassed. I'm here. I'm on the floor. I'm making all kinds of noise. Good thing I didn't grab the tablecloth and pull the, you know, the china off. You make a, make a real ruckus, right? But I was embarrassed. And out of my embarrassment, I, you know, I got up real sheepishly looking around like, who's watching me, you know? But sometimes what happens, listen, that's the same way what we do with God. You trust a chair to hold you, but we don't trust God to do your battles. And God said, listen, if you trust me with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, what is he going to do? He's going to make your path straight. And you ever wonder why Jesus said, make your path straight? Because you know and I know from point A to point B, the fastest way to get there is a straight line. So God says, listen, I'm going to make your path straight, the point A to point B, the fastest way to get there, when you trust me. But what happens is we don't trust God until we get desperate. We take everything into our own hands. We want to fight ourselves. We're going to get the other cheek, man. When somebody hits you, you're going to get them back. You, man, you're, hey, you're going to get revenge. But God says, listen, just let me take care of your battles. And I'll make your path straight. And he goes on to say, our God is a mountain mover. 
and a battle winner. If he can move mountains, he sure can take care of your battles. But you have to trust your God. It's easy to say, God, I trust you until you're down to nothing. But God wants you to trust him with the little as well as the much. God wants to trust him with the big as well as the little. He wants to say, God, I give it to you. I don't care, God, whatever state I'm in, I'm going to trust you. When you're down to nothing, he's up to something. I love that. When you're down to nothing, that's when God is up to something. I love the scripture. He's making a way where there seems to be no way. He's making your crooked way straight. Even though you may not understand it or see it or perceive it, God is doing something. And I love the story in Daniel chapter 6. In Daniel chapter 6, and many of you know the story, he was thrown into the lion's den and so on and so forth. But then, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was praying to God. He was praying to the Lord, God, you got to help me. you got to help me deliver me from these, these, these wiles of the enemy, these attacks and so on. And Daniel, the Bible said, he prayed for 21 days. And he didn't hear a thing for 21 days. After a week, you would have thought he, he would have quit. And just like a lot of us, we get tired and we weary. That's why the Bible says in Galatians 5, 9, don't become weary in well-doing for at a proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not quit. And what the enemy wants you to do is he wants you to become weary. He wants you to give up. He don't want you to persevere, keep battling, keep struggling and giving it to God. He wants you to throw in the towel. Because then once he, you throw in the towel, that means you are isolating yourself and you separate yourself from the power strength. And now you are vulnerable to the attacks even more to the enemy. So what did David, uh, Daniel do? He didn't just pray one week. He just didn't pray two weeks. He prayed 21 days consistently. And after 21 days, the angel of the Lord appeared to Daniel and said, Daniel, I heard you the first day you prayed. The first day that you inquired of me and trusted me and believed for me to intervene, I heard you. But what you didn't see was what was happening in the spiritual realm. And what was happening in the spiritual realm was the enemy and all his angels were coming against me, and we were fighting them off for 21 days. And so sometimes just because God delays doesn't mean God doesn't hear. Just because God doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't give up on you. He's gave up on you. You have to keep praying until you see the answer. You have to keep trusting and believing that, God, even though I don't feel it, see it, or sense it, God, I know that I know that you hear the cries of, my, of the righteous. That's you today. Come on, give the Lord praise. He hears you today. He hears you. God loves you. I love this. God can only defend, fight, and restore what you choose to give him. He can only defend Fight and restore what you choose to give them. You know, a lot of times what we do, we are selective Christians. Surrendering means I give you all. Yesterday, I went to a funeral yesterday. Uh, Jeff and I, Dad, and I went to a funeral in Spooner, and it was Pastor Dennis. For many of you may have known Pastor Dennis and his wife, Kathy, that come to church here. I don't know if Laura and them are here today. Probably not. But uh, we went to the funeral there uh, yesterday. Probably one of the greatest funerals. It was awesome. You know why? Because they get there, and one of the pastors, they had several of them speak. But one of the pastors, when he got up to speak, the first thing he did, he had us all stand. And once we all stood, you know what he said? 
Now, I want every one of you to raise your hands. Some of those people in there, man, they, they look like deer in headlights. What do you mean, raise your hand? I don't do that. Mm. They were dignified, but they weren't satisfied. He said, raise your hands. And then you know what he did? He proceeded to tell us to surrender our battles and our struggles to the Lord at a funeral yesterday. It was so cool. You know why? Because he was representing Pastor Dennis, who learned the secret every, every day. His five children told him every day. This was what the whole settlement of the, of the funeral was all about. How his kids said that my dad learned to surrender his battles every day. So that's why this pastor had us lift our hands and teach us like Pastor Dennis taught his kids to surrender. You see, what are you holding on to? What grudge? What resentment, what anger, what bitterness, what rejection, what pain are you holding on to? And now that you maybe discovered what pain you're holding on to, can I ask you a question? Where has it got you? What reward have you got from maybe your bitterness? What increase has come to your house? Is it really worth it? You see, what you give to God, the battles, the struggles, God can take your mess. God can take your mess and give you a message. Everything that you have, your mess, gives you a message to tell other people, hey, man. My God lifted me up out of the muck and mire and gave me a firm foundation to stand, as Psalms 42, verse 2 says. He gives me a firm foundation to stand. He took my mess, my pain, my bitterness, my rejection, my anger, and he gave me a message. And if he could do it for me, he can do it for you. You see, that's what our God is about. He wants you to transfer your trust into his hands and let you take the battle. You see, listen, in 2 Chronicles 20, 15 through 17, I love this. This is so cool. Watch this. This is so cool. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah, in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you, to you today. He says, watch this. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Isn't that the thing? how the enemy likes to come in put fear, discouragement, secondhand news because of this vast army for the battle is not yours but God come on I always say if you can't get excited your wood's wet because that gives me confidence God is telling you point blank the battle's not yours it's God's. And I love this. Here's what happens when, notice what he said, afraid or discouragement. Three feelings that kill your victory. Three feelings that kill your victory. Regret. You know what regret is? Regretting that I didn't do it last time. Regretting that I didn't do it now. The enemy loves to bring up regret. Why do you think your God's going to do it now? You didn't let him do it last time. So all this regret the enemy loves to remind you. You didn't do it last time. What makes you different any now? Another one is this. Insecurity. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel good enough. 
I don't feel qualified. Many of you passed up promotions in your life because you felt never qualified. You felt like, I'm not worthy. I can't read. I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, you want to know something? You're looking at wah. Do you know that when I was going to school, I was in special ed classes. I was through special ed classes. I never would have thought that I'd be in this pulpit today. They thought I had dyslexia. They labeled me with all kinds of labels. And as growing up as a kid, I had to fight through the, all these insecurities. Being in a special ed class and couldn't be with all my athletes and I hung out with all my buddies because I had to go to this separate class because I had dyslexia and I couldn't read. And so I carried that label that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not special enough. Man, I can't read, I'm stupid, I'm this, I'm that. And sometimes we're the worst critic when God says, no, I made you fearfully and wonderfully. Do you know that every one of you are a great swimmer? You were a swimmer before you went, before you, before you were born. You were a swimmer before you were born. You figure it out. You beat all the other swimmers to that egg. You won. God created you to win. And I had to fight through those insecurities. When I first became a Christian, I had no idea what it was to be a Christian. I have my children's Bible. I pulled it out the other day. I pulled it out as a reminder that I didn't even know who Jesus was. But I read that children's Bible over and over again till the cover's off it right now. And when my kids, when I pass on, I'm going to give it to one of my grandkids. And I've gone through Bible after Bible. I've went through seven Bibles. Man, from cover to cover, wore them out because I wanted to know who this Jesus is who's going to take my insecurities those labels he's going to strip off me and he's going to make me more than a conqueror that's you today you today are a conqueror you see insecurities discouragement the opposite of discouragement is courage and I love all through the word of God he said to Moses, he said to Joshua, he said to Abraham, he said to the heroes of faith, be not dismayed. Take courage, my brother and my sister. Take courage, for I am your God, and I change not in who I am. I've won this battle, and I can win that battle. You just be still and transfer that battle in my hands, and I will go before you, and I'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Let me fight for you, and you just be still. Come on! You see, I know I'm going over time, man. I got. We had a malfunction today, as you can see. How many of you love that the the timer kept skipping? That was on purpose. Let me tell you, man. I felt bad for Pastor Andy. You can always know when he's under stress. He turns red. And I'm not telling you that's the S O N. It was the S U N that got him, man. He just. And I felt bad for him. So I got five minutes, Pastor Randy, all right. They're going to cut me off, right? How many will give me five minutes? Come on, somebody give me. That's 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 50, 50. Oh, man, I got an hour. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Amen. I got an hour. Pastor Joe, I'm going to keep on preaching until the cows come home. Amen. Watch this, though. Watch this. Watch this. Look at what he did. After he transferred the battle in the Lord's hands, guess what he did? He went into praise. What is praise? Praise is victory. So what Jehoshaphat was doing, he knew he had the victory because he transferred into God's hands and therefore he could celebrate. You see, when you score a touchdown, you're going to celebrate. Jehoshaphat scored a touchdown. He's celebrating. Now watch this. Second Chronicles 20, verse 20 and 22. He says, watch this. Go to verse 20. <laughs> Early in the morning, they left the desert of Tyrus as they set out that Jehoshaphat stood and said listen to the, me Judah and the people of Jerusalem have faith in the Lord your God and he will uphold you or defend you or fight for you or go before you have faith have faith you want to please God you have please God with faith that's why it says in Hebrews 11 verse 6 without faith it's impossible to please God. But if you want to please God, you have faith. I will not be moved in the time of storm. I'm going to have faith in you. My eyes are fixed on you. You are my rock and my redeemer, my hope and my shelter in the time of storms. Come on, that's God. I think I'm fired up today. I miss my wife. Amen. She's listening today, too. Watch this. You got to get this. We're getting ready to close. I, I love this. <laughs> after, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men. Appointed men. To do what? To sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying... Oh, look at this. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. You know what they did? Hold on, Ed, just stop that for a minute. When I was at the funeral yesterday, they sang one of the favorite hymns that men I love. Then sings my soul, come on, stand with me, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sing my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, and because He face tomorrow because he lived all fear he 
Because I know, I know He holds the future And life is worth the living just because He lives I think you're starting to believe it one more time, come on Because He lives And because He Come on I can face, I can, can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone. And because, and because I know, I know he holds the future. Just because he lives. Now, if you believe that today, come on, give the Lord praise. Come on. Amen. Now, will you do me a favor today as we close? The vast army that came against him, but Jehoshaphat's army did one thing. Here's what Jehoshaphat's army did they were in unity, they were in one accord. Unity means you and I tie. Where two or three agree, it shall be done. I want to be a church that's unified. I want to be a church that's together as one. And here's how we're going to do it. Will you grab the person's hand next to you, and we're going to close in prayer. Fill out the aisles. Come on. Just fill it out. We're going to be a church of unity today, a church of oneness today. We're going to be a church, man, that God wants to move up and down these aisles. It's so fun. Look at this. Man, what a, what a packed house today. Man, this is exciting to see what God is doing in Siren, Wisconsin with 806 people. I think they're all here today. Amen. Amen. Let's believe together. Father, I thank you for this wonderful church. Sharon, I love them so much. As we hold each other's hand as a signal and a sign of unity and agreement and oneness. I pray, God, increase into every household here today. That, Father, as you went before the Israelites, you went before Judah and Jerusalem, God, you're going to go before us. You're going to defend us. We don't have to try to defend ourselves. We have a God that knows all things, the ins and outs of our lives. He was able and capable of defending us if we let it go. You can defend us, Father. And I thank you, Father, for each individual here today. I pray, God, as we hold hands today, that if there's anyone here today that needs a miracle in their house, that, God, you would visit them right now. Where two or three agree, it shall be done. And so, Father, I thank you for signs and wonders to follow for those who believe. And we give you praise. We give you glory for this wonderful congregation. Bless them and keep them. And they're going in and they're going out. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And all God's people said, amen. Now, come on. Give the Lord praise. Wow. Look how awesome this is today. This is so awesome. God bless you today. See you at Miracles. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Adventure Church. Would you consider a financial gift to help support this ministry? Giving is simple and safe. Just go to our website, www.adventurechurchsiren.com, and click on the Give tab. Thank you for your generous gift.